Welcome back to the College Football Breakdown. I'm your host, Zachary Haynes, and what a week of college football it was. So many upsets across the nation. So many great games. So many games that were unexpectedly great. Um, the Sun Belt, uh, we'll get into more of them, but uh, the Sun Belt's the best conference, obviously, in, in the nation. Uh, they, they, they're they proving it the past uh, two weeks. I mean, from App State, uh, from Georgia Southern, from Marshall. I mean, I, there's not much I can explain to it. Um, Joe, all joking aside, though, the Sun Belt, really great. Um, I'll give them some kudos. Uh, the SEC... The SEC is still the SEC, all right? We're not actually believing the Sun Belt's the best conference in the nation. Um, but they did surprise a lot of us. Uh, a couple other games, BYU. BYU played really well against Baylor. Uh, we'll get into all of that and more on the podcast. Again, please go like. Please subscribe to the podcast. Um, we're on RSS.com. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. Um, and we're soon to be on YouTube. So keep um, that in the back pocket. All right, let's move to the first game, shall we? First game, we're going to move to Alabama and Texas. Alabama 20, Texas 19. The stats of this game were pretty even, I would say. You're looking at the box score. You, If, if you go into the notion that you expected Alabama to win this game by three touchdowns, then the box score is staggering when you look at it. You're like, well, Alabama under, underperformed, but Texas played really well. The one staggering stat that you can put... Um, for Alabama is 15 penalties. How many times do you think they ran in practice the other day for 15 penalties? I mean, I, I don't know how many times they ran, but it's probably a lot because 15 penalties is the most by a Saban coach team in a long, long time. Uh, key players, Bryce Young, 27-39, 213, and one touchdown. He played really well. Bijan Robinson, he had 21 carries for 57 yards and a touchdown. He was probably their best player on offense besides Xavier Worthy. Quinn Ewers played really well in the first one and a half quarters until he got hurt. Um, we'll get into more of that. Uh, thoughts? We'll, we'll, we'll go to Alabama first because um, I kind of want to save for Texas. All right? A lot of people on social media... A lot of people on TV, a lot of people on news radio are all talking about how bad Alabama played, which I 100% agree. Alabama did not play up to the standard that people usually expect an Alabama and Nick Saban coach team to play. Putting all that aside, you cannot deny the fact of the environment they were playing in, the heat they were playing in, the way Texas played. Texas... It's not that Alabama, they, they didn't play up to their standard. But a lot of that has to do with how Texas, how the scheme that Texas had, the way Texas was playing on defense, Texas looked good. They looked great. Um, and they were, they were between confusing Bryce Young, getting pressure on Bryce Young, uh, the secondary played well, the linebackers, all of the defense for Texas played really well. So... The concern for Bama is there, but I think we can we can layer it back a little bit from this Alabama team is terrible, they're not as good as years prior, which that may be true, that may not be true. We have to see how Texas is going to play out. Now, there are some concerns that I that I want to look at for this Alabama team. Wide receiver 
If I were to tell you that the leading wide receiver in this game would be their running back, Jameer Gibbs, you would have thought, you would think Alabama would have lost this game. You really would have. I mean, he had 74 seven yard, receiving yards. He had eight catches. Where's the rest of the receiving core that Alabama's already had? I know they lost a lot of guys. I know they lost Jamison Williams. I know they lost... Um, uh, I'm, I'm even forgetting his name. Uh, John Mechie. Wow. I couldn't even remember it there for a sec. I know they lost those guys, but usually Alabama's able to reload. Jermaine Burton from Georgia has not looked good. Uh, Treshawn Holden, he looked good last game, but this game he was a non-factor. Cameron Latu was, in a, non, was a non-factor for most of the game until the fourth quarter. Bryce Young was the bright spot. And then one long 81-yard run, which Texas didn't keep contain, and then bam. There is the concern for the wide receivers, and there is this concern on the offensive line. But we all remember last year, Alabama went into Florida in a tough environment and played sloppy. They played bad. And everybody's concerned about this Alabama team. And you know what happened? Alabama ended up winning the SEC championship game and they ended up going into the college football playoff. Games, there are going to be games where it is sloppy. There are going to be games where it doesn't look good. But the mark of a championship winning team is one that can step up in the fourth quarter and win games. And Bryce Young and Alabama did that. They stepped up when they needed to. Now, some of that has to do with how Texas was playing on offense. I get that. But Alabama showed up when they needed to show up on that last minute. They were able to march down the field and they were able to score. Now, Bryce Young looked amazing on that last drive, especially that one play where he ducked under the the blitzing corner and was able to go for 25 yards. That saved saved the game for Alabama. All right, so you have to get props to Bryce Young. Now, let me move on to Texas. Everybody was counting out Texas in this game. Everybody, I was counting like Texas in this game. But you know what? Texas looked good. They did. When Quinn Ewers was there in the game, they were moving the ball down the field on those two drives that we saw. I mean, Quinn Ewers looked great. The receivers were looking good. Xavier Wardy was looking good. Um, Bijan Robinson was looking good. And then obviously Quinn Ewers got hurt. Hudson Card came in the game, kind of managed the game at a Hudson Card managed the game to keep Texas in the game. He didn't win them the game. One thing that you do have to flaunt Texas on was getting field goals instead of touchdowns in the red zone. You cannot, you cannot beat this good of a team in Alabama and end up with three field goals and one touchdown, one in the red zone. Or you cannot miss a 20-yard field goal at the end of the half by 50 feet you have to capitalize you cannot make mistakes if you're the underdog you cannot make mistakes against the number one team in the nation as alabama right you have to you have to capitalize on all of your um capitalize on all of your opportunities and you have to hope alabama makes mistakes and alabama made a lot of mistakes but there are opportunities that texas did not capitalize when they should have capitalized on them now Exceeding expectations 
Texas, you've gone through this span of losing to Kansas last year. Everybody's putting the horns down, saying Texas isn't back. Um, they got Quinn Ewers, and now you come into this year, and everybody's saying, "All right, let's let's see how this Texas team is." What I focused on was not as much as the talent that was surrounding Texas, but the product that I saw on the field when it came to an identity or a culture. And it looked like when Al- when Texas was playing Alabama, they had that. They they had that identity. They had that culture that Steve Sarkeesian is trying to preach. Right? They were tough physically on defense, keeping up with his Alabama team. Right? And even when their starting quarterback went down, Hudson Card came in the game and he played... He didn't play great. He played average to good, which is what they needed. This what they needed to, to stay in the game. When Quinn Ewers went down, I thought this game was going to get out of reach really fast. But he didn't. That Texas team stood up to the challenge and they played really, really well. All right. That's all I have for that game. <laughs> I want to move on to a couple of these other games that are um, interesting to say the least. Uh, we're going to go to this first game. Uh, Marshall 26, Notre Dame 21. I don't even know what to explain from this game, except the fact that if you watch this game, Marshall dominated Notre Dame. They dominated them. They were running the ball on them. They were moving the ball up and down the field. They ended up with a couple field goals, but they this could have been a lot worse than the score than the score said. A lot worse. And it probably should have been a lot worse. Notre Dame scored a touchdown at the end, but, I mean, it was 26-15. I mean, Notre Dame just couldn't move the ball. They had no offense. Uh, key players in the game, uh, Marshall, Kalan, Laybourne. 31 carries, 163 yards, and a touchdown. It's a good stat line. Good stat line for a Marshall running back. Uh, transfer from Florida State, by the way. Uh, Michael Mayer. Eight receptions, 103, 103 yards, and one touchdown. He's the only player on Notre Dame that looks good. Especially on offense, to say. On offense, to say the least. All right, let's talk about Marshall first, before we get to Notre Dame, because I I really need to talk about Notre Dame. Marshall, great things running the ball. I thought they looked good on the line of scrimmage. Their defense forced three turnovers. Now, does it have to do with Notre Dame being bad at QB or the scheme that Marshall was putting in the game and the talent that Marshall has on the outside? I think it has to do with a little bit of both, but I thought Marshall's corners played really well and their secondary played really well to to shut down that Notre Dame team. Uh, does Marshall in the Sun Belt, Marshall in the Sun Belt, they, they got a lot of tough competition. They got Appalachian State. They got Georgia Southern. Um I, I can see this Marshall team making a run for a possible uh, 11-1, 10-2 season. They, look, they looked really good. Um, there's always that one sneaky team every single year. UTSA last year, 12-0. Um, Houston had a couple of years prior where they were a group of five and they played really well. I think that this, this Marshall team has the capabilities of being that. Now, let's move on to Notre Dame. Marshall, you played a great game. That's all I have to say to you. I think a lot of this game had to come down to how Notre Dame played. There is an excuse for losing to Oklahoma State 
and there is an excuse for losing to Ohio State. There is no excuse to lose to Marshall at home. No excuse. And I know Notre Dame fans think that exact same that exact same way. There is no excuse to lose to a Marshall team, a Sunbelt team. Come they come into your house, they beat you up on both lines of the line both both sides of the line of scrimmage. They do whatever they want on offense and they push you around on defense. And that's the product that Notre Dame is putting on the field. It's inexcusable. Inexcusable. Marcus Freeman is 0-3 as Notre Dame's head coach. He's doing a phenomenal job in recruiting and getting the guys that he wants. But (laughs) you're not going to be there to see those guys that you're recruiting if you're starting out 0-3 and it's very possible your next game you could lose to Cal, you could lose to North Carolina, you could lose to BYU. All those games are losable games on your schedule. You're not going to be there that much longer if you have a season where you're four and eight, three and three and nine, two and ten. Because right now, what we're looking at is a season that's very possibly could just be flipped on its head of what it was supposed to be and becoming just a complete disaster. And that is not that is not how you want to start out as the head coach of Notre Dame. Because the talent is there. The talent, the talent is there. They've, they've recruited at a decent level for being Notre Dame, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. It's not like Marshall has is more talented than you. It, it, it honestly goes down to the coaching and it goes down to the play of those skilled positions that we're going to look at. The QB play for Notre Dame is just horrendous. It's, it's, it's just downright terrible. Tyler Bruckner can run the ball. He cannot throw the ball. He can't. His his counterpart, Drew Pine, he's going to have to take his place because Tyler Buckner's out for the year. If Drew Pine couldn't beat out Tyler Buckner, I don't even want to know what's behind Tyler Buckner. Maybe we're going to get a maybe we're going to get a Kyle Trask situation. Who knows? But as of right now, this Notre Dame quarterback play is a disaster. And I think Notre Dame fans expect this. You've had Ian Book for a while. Ian Book left. Jack Cohn, the transfer came in. Jack Cohn played really well. But now we're relying on this this sophomore, Tyler Buckner. He's not playing well. We're trying to rely on Drew Pine. He's not playing well either. I don't know what the answer is. For Notre Dame the rest of the year, but it has to be figured out at some point. Or there are multiple games on this schedule where you're not gonna even gonna you're not only gonna lose, you're gonna get blown out. You are. Wide receiver play is inexcusable. The running back play is inexcusable. Everything that we said at the start of preseason, where we had a worrisome about the quarterback play of Notre Dame. We had a worrisome of the running back play and the wide receiver play. The skilled positions were lacking. When you lose your quarterback, when you lose your running back, when your wide receivers haven't shown up in the last couple years, that this is what's going to happen on offense. 
your offensive line can only do so much. And they didn't even look great for Notre Dame. Very, very discouraging right now for Notre Dame and times. And, and they're also throwing the ball 38 times and rushing it 37 times. Why are you throwing the ball 38 times with Buckner or with Drew Pine? That's not going to win you games. I don't care. I don't care if you want to, if you're not rushing the ball to your elite level. Find your identity. Notre Dame has no identity on offense. Their identity is turnovers. Their identity is three and ounce. Their identity is punting the ball. Their identity is not moving the ball at a consistent pace that they should be on a Marshall team that's not better than them. Find your identity, Notre Dame, on offense as much as you can. And maybe, maybe you'll get to six wins. All right. Oh, boy. If, if you thought I was bashing Notre Dame there, wait till you hear this next one. Appalachian State beats Texas A&M 17-14. At College Station, by the way. We didn't play in Boone like North Carolina. Appalachian State went to College Station and dismantled Texas A&M. I'm, I'm going to go look at this box score here for a second. First downs, 22-9. to 22-9. Appalachian State over Texas A&M. Total yards, Appalachian State 315, A&M 186. Appalachian State had more yards passing. Appalachian State had almost 100 yards more rushing than, than Texas A&M. Penalties. Texas A&M had more penalties. Texas A&M had two turnovers. Possession. Time of possession. Appalachian State, 41 minutes to Texas A&M, 18. That is ridiculous. Appalachian State just, they pretty much held it the entire game. Texas A&M did, could not get off the field against Appalachian State. And let's not even, this is, this is the most mind-blowing, this is, the most mind-blowing stat I've seen. In all my in all my years of watching college football, I have never seen a stat like this. Appalachian State ran 82 plays. AM ran 38. 38. 82 to 38. I'm telling you, you look at that box score, and if I were to flip. A&M and Appalachian State, the score and the box score, you would have expected that from A&M. You'd be like, okay, A&M's the better team. But that's not what it is. Appalachian State did that to A&M, a team that is loaded with five stars, is loaded with four stars, has talent all over the field, and yet they cannot get out of their own way against an Appalachian State team that's, albeit, well-coached, disciplined team. They are not better talent-wise from Texas A&M. And there's a reason for that. A&M is putting so much more into their program than Appalachian State. They are putting so much more time, so much more effort. And yet, the product, the time and effort that you're putting in is not equal to the product you're getting on the field. Appalachian State pushed you around. If... 41 minutes of time of possession or 82 plays doesn't tell you that, then I don't know what does. A&M, you looked 
horrendous, to say the least. I want you guys to think about this for a sec. Let's say we have a company. And this company, all they use is flip phones to communicate. They don't use laptops. They use old rundown computers. And this other company beside them has all the new technology. They have the smartphones. They have all the new Dell computers, all the new Apple laptops, all the new iPads. They got all this cool stuff. Who do you think might be more in tune with the culture and job opportunities of the age? You would think it's the people with all the new stuff. And that's 100% true. They would be. They would have all the opportunities in the world because when you have a flip phone, you're not going to be able to communicate as well. Texting might go down the drain. Um, there's more things that you can do with a smartphone, such as internet, such as maybe Excel, such as PowerPoints, all these different things that you can do on a phone, maybe Microsoft Teams. If you compare that to what you're seeing from Texas A&M, this offense is stuck in this flip phone era. They are stuck using these these this flip phone offense to say the least. Where yes, a couple years ago it worked well. It worked you could say it was it was the the best offense of the age. Nowadays in 2022 a flip phone is not going to be as effective as a smartphone would be. Alabama. Georgia. All these different offenses where they use similar offenses to AM have all flipped over. I'm not saying flip just because of flip phones. They have all switched over. There you go. Switched over from a flip phone to a smartphone because the smartphone was more productive. The smartphone was better in tune with the culture and how everything was evolving. And the smartphone gave so many more possibilities to adapt to to a style that was better, a style that was more attractive. All right? Take everything we just talked about a smartphone and apply it exactly into football. Alabama has switched to a smartphone. They switched their offense. It's more attractive offense. It's easier. It's more in tune with how the style of college football is starting to be played. AM stuck in the flip phone era. They are using the same offense that they have always used. And newsflash, it is not always going to work, Jimbo. Just because your offense worked in 2014 with Jameis Winston does not mean eight years later that the offense will be working to the same perfection, to the same amount of effectiveness that it did eight years ago. It just doesn't happen like that. And if you don't switch 
how your offense is playing and how your offense approaches the game, then you could be out of a job really soon. There is there's a reason that Nick Saban, there's a reason why even Kirby Smart nowadays are winning national championships and are competing because they've adapted to the game. When you don't adapt, you fall behind. And when you fall behind, you ultimately get fired. That's how college football works. That's how football works. The game does not stay the same. The game changes all the time. And if you don't adapt to it, you're going to fail. All right, enough enough of that rant for AM. Uh, let's move on to uh, Nebraska. Oh boy, I'm gonna take a sip of water before I get into this one. Oh, Nebraska lost 45-42 to Georgia Southern. The next morning, you get the thing on your phone that says. Nebraska has fired Scott Frost. And you knew it was going to happen. I just didn't think that it was going to happen until later on in the year. Now, we all know if Nebraska were to fire him now, which they did, it's a $15 million buyout compared to... I got a yawn there. Compared to in three weeks, it would be a $7 million buyout. But because what they were seeing is so bad, they, f- they didn't wait to fire him. They just got him off now. I want you to think of this Nebraska football team as a car check engine light. When you see that check engine light in your car, what's the first thing that you think of? You think, oh boy, something's wrong with my car might want to go to get it fixed or I might want to go to an auto zone and let them look at it. The check engine light or the check culture light for Nebraska has been on for a very, very long time. And yet the Nebraska administration, the Nebraska athletic department has failed to recognize it and they have ignored it all this time. The check engine light came on about the second year for Nebraska. Then you started hearing a noise the third year at Nebraska when they went three and five. And then last year, the car starts smoking. That check engine light's on. The noise is being made. The car is starting to smoke now. It, they're three and nine. I mean, it's it's smoking, smoking. And then this year, it, it's one in your what? One and two to start with a loss to Northwestern and Georgia Southern. And the car is on fire. And you decide, all right, that's enough. The car's on fire. We need to stop. In any situation or real life situation, if your car's on fire, there's no way you're going to fix it. Now, obviously, it's going to be different in football. I'm not saying that Nebraska can't fix their problems. I think they can. I think one of their problems was Scott Frost. But... That car has been on fire now 
for three games. And it is on the brink of exploding. You as an athletic department has failed to realize the signs. You have failed to understand that it has been smoking. You have lost so many close games. The culture and the identity of the football team just isn't there. And you chose to ignore it because you love Scott Frost as Nebraska fans. When he's in his fifth year and he never had a winning season. How many coaches do you know? They'll go into their fourth year at a Power 5 school and they have not had a winning season and yet they're still at the program. I'll be at fifth year, I'm sorry. He's still at the program. That doesn't happen. That does not happen. And as Nebraska fans, you have to be frustrated that now, now in the third game of our year, of the, of this year, Scott Frost is finally fired. It took them that long. The check engine light was on the second year. All right? They decided they're not going to get it fixed. Then the car started making noise. When the car started making noise, you should have automatically said, all right, now it's a problem. Now the car is smoking. You can still fix the smoke. You can still fix the, the, the car noise. You can still fix the check engine light. What you can't fix is when the car is on fire. And there's no fix in this season for Nebraska. And I don't think that one can just come in to Nebraska and automatically make them good. I think it's going to take a, a significant amount of time to build up this Nebraska culture of football to what it once was. Now, you're going to have to find a guy that's going to do that. I think there are guys that can do that. Think of Matt Campbell for Iowa State. Think of P.J. Fleck for Minnesota. These guys are culture builders that I think can come in. It may take a little bit, but they can come in and they can help this Nebraska team and this Nebraska program build from the ground up because that's what you're going to have to do. Okay. One more game. One more game to talk about and to let my frustration out. Let's talk about Kentucky versus Florida. Kentucky beat Florida 26-16 in the swamp. My question, you guys, is is Mark Stoops a top 10 head coach in college football right now? Think about it. I'll give you time to think about it. I mean, winningest coach in Kentucky football history. Two straight 10-win seasons. Has turned what is predominantly known as a basketball school into almost a football school. How many coaches have, you known to, have been known to do that? And how many coaches have worked with as less as Mark, Stoop ha, Mark Stoops has and has been as successful as Mark Stoops has been? There's a very slim list. And if you're looking at what Mark Stoops continually puts on that field, I think you can make the argument and make the case that Mark Stoops is a top 10 head coach in college football. <coughs> Man. My voice is kind of going out here. Uh, Will Levis against Anthony Richardson. This was horrendous. I mean, Will Levis won this battle by... I mean, he was on the moon. Anthony Richardson was still on Earth. I mean, it's a long shot that he won this by. 
Anthony Ri- Will. Oh, wait. I'll get into Will Levis. Will Levis looked great. All right? He threw the ball well against a Kentucky offense that was struggling to run the ball. Now, let's talk about Anthony Richardson. I was of the opinion of the opinion that Florida was a little overhyped to be at 12. I know they beat Utah my number three team, but I thought there was just a little bit of overhype there. Anthony Richardson, I didn't think was overhyped because you saw the talent. But I think people started jumping on the train too early and too much. And I don't think that Anthony Richardson's there yet to be considered a top five QB or a top 10 draft pick. And I think you saw a lot of that. He was late with his throws. He was inaccurate. And athleticism can only get you so far. Athleticism in the college level, athleticism in the pro level can only get you so far. You have to have talent besides your athleticism. And I think that's what Anthony Richardson is starting to find out. Now, is he going to get better? 100% yes. I think Anthony Richardson is going to get better. But I think the hype train of Florida was just a little too much. And I thought we needed to back off a little bit. Now, on to Kentucky. You look at what Kentucky's got coming up. And this Kentucky team... Kentucky team can ride the train for a little bit until they play they play Ole Miss. That's their next tough opponent. P- opponent. But this Kentucky team could really compete for that SEC East. We were trying to find, is it going to be Florida? Is it going to be Tennessee? Is it going to be South Carolina? I think this Kentucky team has the ability to compete with Georgia. Defensively, they look good. They have a quarterback. They have a running back if he comes back, if Chris Rodriguez comes back. All right. Uh, let's go some quick fire games. BYU beat Baylor. Uh, don't look now, guys, but BYU is 2-0. They beat uh top-10 team, I believe, in Baylor. They looked good. Jaron Hall looked really good as well. I think this BYU can shock a lot of people. Tennessee. Tennessee was able to knock off Pittsburgh. 34-27. Don't look now, Tennessee. You're 2-0, possibly 3-0 after the next week. Then you got Florida. In Knoxville, in Neyland Stadium, that's going to be a great game. (coughs) Arkansas beat South Carolina 44-30. Arkansas dominated this game on the line of scrimmage. And I thought that's what South Carolina would struggle with. I thought Spencer Rattler looked decent, but he didn't look great again. I think defensively there are some problems with what you're seeing Arkansas. There are some problems in what's happening with South Carolina on the line of scrimmage. Now, I know Arkansas is really good, but Arkansas was going up and down the field all day on South Carolina. Washington State beat Wisconsin. Yes, you heard that right. 17 to 14. And if you look at the stats, I don't know how Washington State won this game, but they did. They somehow beat Wisconsin. 
even though Wisconsin outgained them, even though Wisconsin had the time of possession, uh, absolutely locked up in their favor. Graham Mertz didn't play terrible, it seemed like. So Washington State, Cameron Ward, they won this game. All props to Wazoo. Three other games. Iowa State finally beat Iowa. Virginia scored three points against Illinois. Don't tell me how that happened. Brennan Armstrong, there is a missing persons report for you. And Kansas. Kansas scored 55 and beat West Virginia. Yeah, you heard it. Those Kansas Jayhawks, man. They they don't look terrible. They actually look like a good team and a team that could compete, not for the Big 12 championship, but compete in the Big 12. There's a big difference. All right? That's going to do it for the podcast. Um, not much today, uh, even though it was a crazy week. Uh, obviously, we didn't have Trey and Grant on the podcast. I'm glad I didn't have Grant on the podcast. He probably would have roasted me the entire time. Um, but you'll, you guys will see him in the preview uh, upcoming this Wednesday. We're going to put it out. We're going to put this podcast out tonight. You guys are going to be able to hear it. Uh, so excited you guys are listening. Again, we're on Spotify. We're on rss.com. We are on um, Apple Podcasts. Please go listen. Please like the podcast or subscribe to it. Again, I'm Zachary Haynes, and I will see you guys later.